Welcome to Nerds at the Round Table, a podcast on the quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're going to be honoring our mothers. So, Dwayne, what, mother's did, what are we watching? Yeah, uh, our Mother's Day episode. You know, we all have that special person. That special thing in our lives that really means the world. It really has nurtured us and cared for us. And this week, we are honoring our mothers with the queen of all mothers, the alien queen in 1986. <laughs> Jane Cannon's Aliens. Aliens with an yes. S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the first one. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, this was a really neat uh, addition, uh, you know, to that saga being the second one. Uh, you know, quite a few years, I think, what, Alien 1 was, what, 79? I think, you know, and and I know uh, Ridley Scott said famously that it was his answer to Star Wars where he saw the used, dirty universe. He said, well, I'll just go a step further and make my guy like truckers and just greasy and oily. So, you know, and and James Cameron stays quite on task with these Marines being very crude, rude. And then you have, you know, the the kind of pioneering aspect of the the, uh, colony that, that we go to. But, you know, as we uh, get into this, we'll, we'll discuss that. But, guys, right now it's time to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. Uh, and I'm uh, first out of the gate on this one, and I don't have a timer handy. I am all out of sorts, guys. I got it, bud. All right. Okay. Uh my Keeping 100 this week is a brand new podcast called One Thin Dime. And it's a, it's a new <laughs> podcast hosted by the comic book kid. Um, and it already has four incredibly entertaining episodes that have been released. And my favorite part of this show is the gimmick. I think it's got a great gimmick on the show. Because, I mean, we've all got to have our, our niches, right? And it's, it reviews like Golden Age characters. Um, sometimes it's first appearances, origin stories, classic stories of these Golden Age characters. But the kicker is that the cover price had to be one thin dime. And part of the reason I love this podcast is because even though I'm an avid comic book reader, you know, I started reading comic books in the 90s. Um, I'm kind of averse to going back before, you know, before the 90s. Comics just feel wrong <laughs> to me. They don't feel, they don't read right. Um, and so this is a, so I'm counting on the comic book kid to take me back to these older stories and maybe you know, clue me in to some stories I should be reading, um, or at least entertain me of tales of how bonkers the golden age could be. So my keeping it 100 this week is one thin dime. <laughs> Jamie, I second that. Right. I listened to that episode uh, yesterday, I think. It came out, and uh, it was truly enjoyable. And, and there's short episodes around the, the, you know, the dime mark on your timer. You yeah, I think, that, I think 12 minutes is the longest one so far. Yep. Yeah, I think 12 is what that, that came out as, actually. So I was checking that out myself. <laughs> okay, Sam, I believe you're up next, my friend. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a theme going. And so my Keep It at 100, I'm going to actually pitch a series of comics. Uh, there is a small press company called Allegiance Arts. And just recently, they signed a contract with Walmart to carry their books. So on May 5th, uh, 2020, uh, 
the first four titles released, Nora's Saga, U.S. Marshal, Bass Reeves, The Futurists, and Red Rooster. So each of these books is a different genre from sci-fi fantasy to Western to your classic superhero. Uh, the art is great. The stories are so much fun. And each of them really builds a world within their own genre. So if you're interested in checking out some characters that maybe aren't part of the big two, then check out your local Walmart and check the book section and pick up one or all four of these really great titles. So that's my keep it in 100. Well, Sam, that's very interesting. I hate that we're pimping uh, the man here, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that you know, very I, interesting. Yeah, I guess if you're going to get it out, get it out to the widest possible audience. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. there's just a small press bunch. Um, I don't know how they got this contract or whatnot, but it was kind of cool. And uh, Red Rooster is a lot of fun. It's your classic superhero, but it's set back in the 50s. So it's very legacy hero type of thing. So you've got those kind of quirky 50s types of characters. <laughs> So, yeah, I enjoyed them. Now, are they releasing them in, in is it like a Walmart exclusive type, type thing? Uh, these, all these issues are exclusive to Walmart. Wow. So, this is season one, issue one for each of them. So, that's interesting. That's an interesting business model. Yeah. So, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, I am next up, and I'm also going to keep it on brand with mine. And I would like to talk about a podcast about music. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which I, I may wow. have mentioned this podcast before called Will of Sound, but in particular, I want to shine a light on their Van Halen episode. It just dropped here recently, and it's a two-hour behemoth of an episode. It's it's gigantic, but they talk about the origins of the band, how the band formed, uh, management. I know I talked about um, Kim Fowler last week with the Runaways, and he was actually involved in uh, in some early Van Halen uh, management and touring and things, uh, but how the brothers interacted, how they came to America. You know, they're, they're uh, um, you know, uh, Dutch uh, descent, uh, how they contacted with David Lee Roth, Michael Anthony, and, you know, took over the world, these classically trained artists making party music. You know, with flamboyant, crazy front. Uh, but it's the Van Halen episode of The Well of Sound, and that's my keeping it 100 for this week. So, so I do have to mention, though, a, a, as a, a young gentleman, I love Van Halen's videos. So. <laughs> <laughs> they were some of my favorites. Yeah, uh, well, had well, misogyny going on <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, um, my my dad was a big fan of Van Halen. Um, that's actually where I got my name from. My name isn't short for James. It's Jamie from the song Jamie's Crying. Jamie's Crying. So I guess when you were in trouble, <laughs> your dad was singing Jamie's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we were giving Dwayne a hard time, but you know, it's kind of interesting though, even in the midst of these quarantines, you know, each of us have kind of our niche that we still stick to and that yeah. that's the pop culture that we're kind of checking out, whether it be podcasts or music or comics or that kind of stuff. So I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. 
It's great. And I love these taping on hundreds where we can kind of share what we're into with each other and our fans. So enjoy those guys. Enjoy those. So now I'd like to roll into our opening thoughts and grades with this. I'm glad I get to go last. (laughs) (laughs) It does take a little pressure off of you, doesn't it? And I'm so curious. (laughs) (laughs) all right so i guess i'm leading off with opening thoughts and grades this week um so when i think about the alien movie franchise in itself you know this has always been one of my favorites um it's one of those sf movie universes like star wars and star trek and planet of the apes that really forms the basis of my movie fandom um You know, I know in this movie, the effects are a bit dated, uh, very much so. But you know what? I love a matte painting just as well as the next person. Um, (laughs) There's nothing wrong with some practical effects. This is 86, right? Um, But, you know, I just, I enjoy this movie. And like I said, it's just one of those that really becomes, like I said, my foundation. So I gave it an A-. minus. Not bad, not bad. Um, I'm up next with the opening thoughts and grades. Now, I know we were discussing before we started recording, you know, is this a good movie? Is this a fun movie? Uh, I have very uh, fond memories of this movie. I have very fond memories of the franchise. Um, Space Marines, spaceships, of course, I'm always down for uh, the expansion of the you know, alien species from the first movie. You know, you've got Bill Paxton. You've got Michael Bean. You've got the return of Sigourney Weaver. You have Paul Reiser, for Christ's sake. And not to mention the 80s trope, whenever you're struggling, bring in a small child. (laughs) You know, this this will definitely help the show. So, um... I enjoy this movie. This is a a thing I have seen many, many times. I've scratched my grade out two or three times, but I keep coming back to a B minus. It's not high cinema, but it's fun cinema. And it is an above average movie. So that's my grade. How dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This movie is a classic of nerddom. Uh, I, I mean... And it's it's about it's not as good as Alien. Um, that's I don't think anybody argues that. Um, but it's a lot more fun than Alien. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> light years more fun. Than more Alien. fun, yeah, a lot more fun. Um, and I mean, I, I when I think of the characters from the Alien series, even though they're only in this one movie, you know, I mean, aside from Ripley, of course, but like it's these characters. It's Michael Bean's character. It's you know, Hudson, game over, man. I mean, these are the, <laughs> these are the people you think of. You think of, I mean, Lance Henriksen in this movie as uh, as the as the android in this movie is so good. I mean, it's it's a memorable movie with memorable characters. Um, I'm sitting with Sammy there in an A minus. Uh, I, I I don't think this is a bad movie. I think it's a good movie. It's more fun than good, um, but I think it is a good movie. And we'll we'll get there's a pan section. We'll get into some stuff, yeah. but I think it's still in the A range. Okay. You know, and, and I think I agree with Jamie on that. You know, I love the first movie. You know, I I, I, th- I mentioned to uh, the guys that 
I saw aliens before I saw a, the, the first alien. But when I went back and watched it, I love the first alien. But when I think of the franchise, I think of Hudson and Hicks and Vasquez and mm-hmm. Apone. Those are the people I think of. Yeah. So, well, you know, I well, can't and, tell you the names of the first crew. So, and, <laughs> well, and, well, and here's the thing, too. Like, for my money, this is the last good alien movie. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say it went off the rails from here. Yeah, it's kind I, of I, I absolutely despise the next. I mean, I've watched it one time. I'm not interested in ever revisiting it. I own it because I bought a box set. It's never gotten all of its, off its little clips inside the case. Uh, <laughs> four is interesting, but this is the last really good one, you know? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, the other ones kind of went off the deep end, I think. Um, I agree with you there. Did like AVP? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, that is a, what's that? That's a space MMA. (laughs) That doesn't even sound familiar, guys. (laughs) All righty. Well, we're here to talk about aliens. So let's take a small break and come back with our fans. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. And now that we're back from our little break, we're going we're gonna to fan a little bit here. We're going to talk about the things that we love or like. Captain B minus there gets to go first. So, <laughs> Dwayne, what what did you find tolerable in Aliens? Well, well, again, like I said, I really uh, did enjoy this movie. Uh, it's it's a fun watch. It's a lot more like you said. I te- I think that's the dead on statement. It's a lot more fun than the first movie. It's not as good, but it's a lot more fun. And just the expanding. My my thing I enjoyed most is expanding upon the aliens. As a species, you know, you see more of the face hugger, you see more of the xenomorphs, you see the queen. You also see how society is. You don't, you're not stuck in this small group of truckers. You have the colonists. You know, you see that that people are, you know, moving out and doing things. You have um, the marines and all of their technology. How the military has advanced, and uh, you know, along with some other movies that kind of taking this view too. You know, kind of corporatized almost you know they're they're kind of running little corporate missions here uh, and i just think that was a really neat take on the future and uh, you know the design of the queen really expanding upon you know the difference uh, between it and the xenomorphs the uh, you know, you're seeing more face huggers you see them you know how cocooning the people actually instead of just um Instead of, you know, just, just tugging the face and going off and dying. And, and, you know, then you have the chest burster later, which I know it was only one that, that took out Ripley's crew initially. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, really added to the creepiness of this when they're underneath there in the, uh, you know, in that reactor coolant cores and stuff. And, uh, and you got all these bodies hanging there and you, you know, we got a live one, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you just have the, the jump scares. It was really, really fun, the expansion that they brought on with that. So that is my fan. Cool. Um, see, the my, mine is kind of connected to that a little bit. But like um, the way I always describe these first two Alien movies is that the, the first one is 
you know, a horror movie disguised as science fiction. And the second one is a military movie, a, a war <laughs> movie disguised as science fiction. And so, but I, I like, I think this movie actually does, does more than, than that. That's not really giving it a fair shake. This movie is, uh, there's a lot of blending of genre, you know, tropes and structure in this movie. Um, it's almost equal parts science fiction, horror, and military. That's right, yeah. Um, and so you think about all the interactions between the soldiers. Um, you've got, you know, Vasquez and what's his face flexing with their guns and stuff. I mean, uh, Drake, you've, you've yeah. Got, yeah Drake. Got, I forgot his name. Uh, he dies too soon. Um, <laughs> you've got all of Hudson's bad jokes. You got the way they rib each other. You know, any of these characters could have been on the helicopter with Dutch's crew going to get ready to go fight the predator. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, so that you've got that third of the movie and then you've got all the horror stuff. And I noticed this, uh, this is structured like a horror movie. I noticed this when my, we were watching it together. My wife pointed out, she's like, you know, we've been a long time with nothing really happening. Yeah. And it dawned on me, like, that's, the, that's what horror movies do. You slowly ratchet up the tension. You slowly mm-hmm. ratchet up the suspense. And there's a lot of that just building, slowly building, ratcheting things up, pressure cooking this thing. I'm like, that's not really how, you know, sci-fi war movies work. This is, that's a horror movie structure. It's a horror structure. And... I mean, Alien is more of that than this movie does, but it's still there. Um, think about how long it is uh, before the looming and threatening becomes actual violence. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I want to interject to, to here, Jamie. I love the sound design when nothing's happening. Nothing's yeah. happening with the music. Nothing yep. is happening, you know, audibly on screen, and it just ratchets that tension straight up. But but it is it is a still it is still a sci-fi movie too. It's, it's got that third too i mean like the all the all the stuff with the cryogenic sleep and the weird future corporations which yeah. still have boardrooms which is how you think we'd get away from that <laughs> um it's a little it's a little lighter that's probably the weakest like i mean the, the least they do I mean, despite being in the future and fighting aliens it probably is more horror and military than sci-fi but uh, i love the way they blended all that together um so that that, that that's my fan Cool. Sammy, before you go, uh, Jamie brought something to my mind about the boardroom. Did you guys recognize Indiana Jones's nemesis from the first half of uh, the Last Crusade in the boardroom? I, I didn't recognize him, but I found out he was in this movie looking for the Keanu connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, oh, this is like the only two movies he's been in. <laughs> Well, you know, Jamie, you, you were talking about the idea of, of a sci-fi war movie. You know, this does everything right that I think Starship Troopers did wrong. You know. <laughs> How dare you. Comparing sci-fi war movies. <laughs> there is a bit of a hindline feel to parts of Aliens, though. Yeah. That's true. So what, what, what's your fan scene? All right. So, you know, Dwayne had kind of alluded uh, to my fan a little bit in his introduction. Uh, I love, you know, in terms of speculative fiction, I love how this movie feels. You know, we've talked about how Star Wars has that lived-in look. But what this movie does is it takes all the grime and the grit and the dings, and then it takes the fantasy element out. Right. So it's pure SF. It's pure, you know, these are rough people living in a rough world. It it almost has, you know, that 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 feel of like Philip K. Dick added to it. 
Um, you know, I think as you look at this, so I love that idea, the realism of the characters in the world that's created in this movie. Yeah, you bring up um, Philip K. Dick. There probably is more more PKD than than Heinlein here, but yeah, it's got, and it, it's got a little, little bit of a Matheson feel to it, like you know, classic, you know, yeah. science fiction. Yeah, it de definitely pulls from that, and you can see whether it be Ridley Scott in the first one or James Cameron here, you know, they're pulling on those those kind of inspirations probably from their youth, the sci-fi they were reading. So, yeah, I can see that entirely. Yep. Yeah, but well, you're dead I, on. It's definitely not science fantasy. It's definitely science fiction. It's grimy, real world. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we've we've gushed. Um, we've you know waved the fans around. So should we get our motion sensor and see if we can sneak <laughs> to the kitchen to get the pans? Okay, uh, I get to go first on pants, or have to, one or the other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned during my Keep It 100 that I struggle with older comics. Um, I recently got a trade of like all of the original Fantastic Four run, um, and man, I, I keep looking at it on my tablet, and I can't bring myself <laughs> to, to read it. And this movie <laughs> suffers from that a little bit, too. I mean... Uh, there's a few times when the old effects, like <laughs> there's a scene where they're rolling into the settlement where, where the miniatures are so bad. <laughs> they're so bad. And it pulls you completely out of the movie and you're like, it's supposed to be this serious moment. And I'm just laughing at how the miniatures are bouncing all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man. Yep. And there's a couple of times, like, where they, the way that I'm not sure if it was the budget or if it was just 1986 and they filmed action scenes differently, but there's like a 10 minute block where they're just standing in front of a hallway, just shooting and throwing things randomly. I'm like, <laughs> man, I don't know if you ran the money to build out the rest of that set. I don't know what happened, but yeah, but there's a few, few moments where it just pulls me out of the movie. Um, yeah. But, I mean, but some of the effects really work. I mean, all the stuff with the Xenomorphs and Alien Queen, that stuff all worked. But there's other yeah. moments, man, where it's just, it's tough. You can really tell where they spent the money. <laughs> yeah. This. And I don't know if it is, you know, a purposeful thing with the set design like you were talking about, Jamie, or if it was, you know, like you said, they just kind of ran out of money and just had to film the same hallway from four different angles. <laughs> you know, but it's it's really confusing, uh, you know, almost maze-like when they're in the, the colony there and, uh, you know, you tend to get lost and claustrophobic in there, which is a great horror genre trope there. But uh, I think Sam's going up next with his pan. Okay. Well, you know, you were talking about where all the money went, you know, they had to pay Sam Winston, right? So <laughs> <laughs> for all those creatures. <laughs> um, all right. But my big pan, I think is, you know, I know once again, kind of alluding back to things we've talked about on this this podcast before, you know, Jamie's talked about uh, kind of the, the give me. You know, sometimes you, you, you get that one kind of give me thing, right? And I think the biggest plot hole for me is the fact that we know Ripley was in hibernation for 57 years. We know that the terraformers have been on LV246 for a while. But 
Ripley's got to wake up before the aliens decide to come back out. (laughs) There's been no incident up until that point in time. And I realized from a plot, you know, the protagonist has to face her demons and all that kind of stuff, literally. Um, But I think that time frame has to be a kind of a gimme in this movie. That, that idea that nothing ever happened. Nobody ever went out near that ship over a (laughs) seven year period. (laughs) Which there was an easy way to save that, and they didn't do it. But just to say, like, yeah, we knew the thing was there. Like, we, That's why we started the settlement. But we didn't know how it worked. We didn't know where it was until Ripley told us. And right. then they go look for it. But they don't do that. And so no. it is this big, like, I, and I'm with you, man. I noticed that, and I was like, ah, that's a huge <laughs> coincidence there, guys. Yeah. It's a big <laughs> yeah. Coincidence. You need to work solve that script a little bit. <laughs> I guess that's why it pays to have a writer on staff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dwayne, what was your opinion? Well, speaking oh, can, of having can you, a, can you settle on just one? Captain, I, 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 I did settle on uh, on one <laughs> one ish here, uh, and I guess it kind of goes back to my statement on paying to have a writer on staff, but the dialogue really kills me in this movie, especially when the Marines are joking and insulting each other. I mean, did they just completely lose the ability to trash talk in the future? Because, I mean, I'm just like, this is not making any sense. It's, I mean, this is the dumbest, you know, rips and the dumbest comebacks And, you know, that really drug me out of it. And especially the structure, you know, the Marines. The Marines being this, you know, elite, highly disciplined force of just complete and total butt kickers. And these guys waking up from, you know, their, you know, hypersleep, cryogenics, whatever you want to call it. And they're just like, you know, walking around. Of course, you're going to walk around, scratch your butt and stuff. But they're just, and they're even trash talking the commander. You know, I mean, I mean, these guys would get ripped up in a in a legitimate military, and uh, and I guess you know that could be a thing where they are showing the the laxness and the corporation kind of in it, and you know you have uh, Hudson, Bill Paxton talking about you know he's just just wanting to get out, and, and you know it's just a chicken crap operation, and uh, it, the dialogue really had me struggling at times. Sometimes it was the delivery, sometimes it was the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but you know what? It, part of it is they're all very stock characters. Yeah. I mean, from the moment the, the the cryo sleep chambers open, and and Sergeant Apone grabs his cigar first thing and keeps it. <laughs> you know, you yeah, I love it. He's sleeping with the cigar. Yeah, yeah. No, he grabs, sticks his mouth. He's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> my my favorite part of that though was watching Apone walk around and thinking. Bill Paxton was this guy in Age of Tomorrow. I mean, he was doing that Tony person. He was. Yeah, and and you know, and you have you know, and and I love you know that's that's a great fan. You know, I love you have Bill Paxton doing the complete eighties Bill Paxton over everything, <laughs> and he's just been this this kind of surfer hick goober. You don't quite know what he's from, but you know he's just a jerk. No, and he's just completely Bill Paxtoning all over this role. Yeah, I don't think we ever get Bill Paxton at his most Bill Paxtoniest than in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think Weird Science comes off the course. 
I don't know. I think he's pretty unleashed here. <laughs> All right, guys. Want to give us some awards? Let's do it. So here we go. All right. Our first award is best performance. And Sammy, you have the privilege of saying the right answer. Oh, I know I don't have the right answer, but bear with me on this one, okay? <laughs> bear with me. My best performance goes to Paul Reiser as Carter Burke, okay? Now, here's why. Before Mad About You... Paul Reiser was the Josh Lucas of his generation. <laughs> he was Mr. Smarmy. I cannot stand him in this movie. I almost get up and cheer when the xenomorph kills him. Okay? But the way I look, if an actor can elicit that kind of response from me, they're acting their bum off and they deserve best performance. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right man because he's he's such and not just there's a lot of 80s movies where he's this kind of smarmy you know yeah pompous jerk like but it, it's such a thing that like when he was on stranger things i just kept assuming like which episode is paul riser going bad on i just kept waiting for it <laughs> yeah yeah aside from just being a useless you know bureaucratic type in there he really was a good guy and i'm with you jamie i was like okay when is he going to <laughs> when is he going to make this turn you know yeah. yeah yeah i really had a hard time with him um but uh for best performance i think i've got the right answer you you've got a good justification <laughs> I, 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 I dwayne can complain i'm not going to it's, it's okay uh, sigourney weaver's the right answer though uh i i just believe everything she does I mean, I don't even think it's a movie when she's on set. It's, I mean, on the on the screen, it's just she's just doing her life. I mean, it's it's so real, it's so perfect. Um, there isn't a single second I'm questioning her performance or even thinking about it. I'm just completely wrapped up in what she's doing and experiencing. Um, and she has this amazing ability to get me on her side and keep me there. Like I just want Sigourney Weaver to win. I just want her to be okay. I just want her to conquer everything bad in her way. And I just think she completely owns this. I mean, she is Ellen Ripley, and um, it's perfect. Well, I'm going to say you're both wrong, and I'm going to drop my Oh, no! On the deck here. <laughs> I'm going with an actor who really, you know, 100% portrayed a character, really inhabited the role. And we spoke That's about him earlier. It's Bill Paxton as Hudson. I mean, he was giving it a hundred percent. He was freaking out. He was crying. He was whining. He was a jerk. He was losing it. You know, and he was just constantly with these, uh, you know, crazy, insane. You know, I know I mentioned about the dialogue, but you know, he just had the most insane, crazy dialogue, and he sold it and bought it every bit. Uh, so I'm going with 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 Private Hudson, Bill Pack. <laughs> I could have bought that on base character. I don't know about base performance. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, uh, it's, it's neat how we each tuck that in a different 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That, that's really cool. So I'm really, really interested to see the rest of the awards, how they pan out. So I'm leading off next with best scene. Now, guys, surprise, surprise. I'm going to stay on brand a little bit more. I've got a spaceship in my scene. <laughs> <laughs> From, from, I love for when they get on the drop ship, you know, and they're and they're all buckling in, and it, and it really, I know you spoke about Edge of Tomorrow uh, a little bit earlier. It kind of put me in mind how they're in there and they're talking about, and I want to go back and look because I want to see if it seems to me that there was a, the line in there, you know, the express elevator to hell, and I, it's in this movie too, I believe. So I'm gonna check that out. But I love the scene from the drop ship to the initial incursion into the colony when they're you know they're they're panning out they're checking the rooms and you know they're they're picking up motion and going into the hamsters in the in the cages and stuff and uh, you know you just got these tough marines and and when they actually get there and realize oh this isn't just a broken transmitter something is legitimately screwed up you know when they're seeing the uh, you know the the acid eating through the floor you know they're seeing the uh, the barricades that the settlers built and stuff. That was, that was my, my favorite scenes. And you know, Jay, talking about that drop ship where Hicks is sleeping the entire time. Hicks (laughs) Hicks is sleeping the entire time. Yeah. I love Michael. Everybody's shaking around and looking at each other and Hicks is snoring away. So Michael being there does a great job. Yep, I love it. Well, I'm going in a very different direction for my, my best scene. Um, And it's, it starts the moment that uh, Ripley is carrying Newt through a storm drain. I don't know what it is, where they're supposed to be. Storage, you know, stuff underneath, I have no idea. But they look down, and they see eggs as far as the eye can see. Yeah. And, we, and Ripley knows what those are. And then she looks up, and we see, like you said, those great Stan Winston effects, those, that horrifying, disgusting egg sac delivery system. Mm-hmm. And then we see the queen herself. Uh, everything that happens in that room, man, it's it's so good. And it's just like horror movie perfection. It's, it's all directed well. Sigourney Weaver's killing it. Um, Newt's voting present. Um, <laughs> um, but I just, I love that scene. You know, I, I have to agree with Jamie because that's my favorite scene also. I love just the way the camera pans and you go from the eggs to this egg sack to the queen herself. And, you know, H.R. Giger, when doing these designs for both movies, it has such a, a techno organic feel. It, it almost like they, they look part robot and part, part, part living. It's almost like they have exoskeletons. And the queen's exoskeleton, her head, you know, I, I think her size, it's jarring. It's scary even, you know, and, and that to me, that's what makes that that scene just stand out in the movie is just that reveal. Yeah, to use some era appropriate terminology, she's pretty gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Cute I get, electric guitar. <laughs> well, I get to go first on the next award, which is best character, and you all mentioned him already. He's Corporal Hicks. I love that guy. I mean, as as messed up as Hudson is, like you know, just completely flipping out over everything. Hicks is just Captain Cool, man. Like you said, sleeping on the dropship. Hudson's losing his mind, but like Hicks is snoring. Um, 
And I, I do. I, I love some like small details about his character, though. I mean, he's this you know great follower. Like he's this great supporter of his sergeant. Um, he doesn't give the captain the grief he deserves. I mean, you know, he he does his part. You know, he he falls in line, helps keep the the grunt, you know, in line. And then suddenly there's not a captain or a sergeant around, and Hicks steps up, and he becomes real, and it reveals he's also a great leader. And one of my favorite little things, and he's like he's like the ultimate masculine guy on that crew, but he's not a macho guy. Um, mm-hmm. Like Hudson and Vasquez and Drake, you said that guy's name was. They're all swaggering mm-hmm. around, blustering. Hicks never does that. And there's this moment where he's arguing with Burke, and despite being this masculine guy, I mean he recognizes Ripley's expertise and that she's right. And he immediately defers to her. Um, that's, just, that's probably something that's not, I mean, especially in the eighties wasn't common for a Marine to do, to defer to a civilian woman. Um, and so I, I, I just, I loved, I love, especially that moment. I love that moment from Hicks. And so that's part that's probably the main reason I picked Corporal Hicks. You know, and as a character, he, I mean, he's just, he's cool as a cucumber, you know, really, when you think about it. You know, he reminds me a lot of Johnny Ringo, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think Johnny Ringo is, uh, what happens to Corporal Ricks if you had a meth habit or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let me jump in because... <laughs> I, I'm interested. I want to see what what Dwayne's going to do for best character now that he's already done the performance. But I'm I'm going to pull up what Dwayne said, and I'm going to use Hudson for my best character. All right. So Private First Class William Hudson. You know, he's just a fun character, and you know, I started, and I don't I don't know. I've got deep down this rabbit hole because I really started dissecting him as a character. Okay, why does he act the way he acts? Okay, he's actually the tech guy. He's probably the smartest person in the room. So if you're with these Marines and you've got to interact, you've got to have more bluff and bluster than they have. You've got to be loud. So you've got to try to fit in or or they're going to they're going to beat up the tech nerd. That's just it. So he's got to be bigger and badder and louder than everybody else. And that's why I like his character. <laughs> my, my favorite thing about Hudson, though, is like whenever things get hairy, he loses it, man. He just yeah. flips out. And we've got that famous game over, man, thing. But if you really pay attention to the actions, action scenes, when it's time to throw down, he throws down he with throws all of down. them. Yeah. 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 He throws down with the best of them. He just um, freaks now, out first. He just yeah. freaks out first. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm I'm my my favorite character. Um, I'm I'm going straight along with what Jamie said. The coolest guy in the room, the guy who had it all in control, the character I wanted to be growing up. You know, like like you said, this guy was just cool. He was he was collected. He had already faced the Terminator. He was getting ready to face, uh, you know, a uh, Doc Holliday here, uh, but uh, you know Michael Bean is is Corporal Hicks and Jamie. You you spoke something that was I was going to make the point on. You know when he has to assume command, you know he does it and he does it well. He's an excellent leader. He doesn't, you know he he doesn't have to come in his come in the room and, and, and you know drop his junk on the table. You know he just speaks it and you know he acts and he's cool and he you know he does defer and he does it in such a cool way. You know. 
Yeah, let's see, we take off and nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. You know, and it gives to Ripley, you know, exactly what she said. But but he was to me the coolest guy in the room. And that and these were Marines in nineteen eighty six. I mean, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of movies like that were any military any kind of military basis at all that were having leaders like that. Um and so I just I loved I mean, I don't know who gets credit for that, but like I just I, I love that little detail. Yeah. yeah. It was really, really neat. Uh, our next one is best quote. And Sammy, you get the privilege of leading All off right. on best quote. So which Hudson line are you picking? Okay, so as far as my Hudson line, <laughs> definitely you got to go a Hudson line. At least I did. <laughs> um, it's the exchange between Hudson and Vasquez. Hudson. Hey, Vasquez, you ever been mistaken for a man? <laughs> Vasquez, no. Have you? <laughs> Yes. Uh, that was mine also. <laughs> I, I love it so much. Well, you know, I, I, I'm I'm going to pull a Hudson line also, and so much gold came out of this guy's mouth <laughs> during this movie. And yet, the, the, the "Have you ever been mistaken for a man?" line was phenomenal. But, now, this is a line. This is a line that I say sometimes, maybe too much, maybe at the inappropriate times. But, you know, Hudson is getting ready to uh, to go on, on one of the raids or whatever, and he says, stop your grinning and drop your linen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just love that delivery. And he's, and he's always falling apart through all the other scenes. But this one, he's trying to play it cool. Let's just go in and kick butt, you know, and he still just can't do it. <laughs> So uh, yeah. we all picked uh, we all picked some Hudson there. What's what's your favorite Bill Paxton role? Is is it is it Hudson here? Mm. I don't know. I love him in so much. Uh, his 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 role in this was probably one of my early introductions to him that that yeah. truly made me feel. So this probably has to be in the top three. I would say. Um, mm-hmm. I loved his portrayal in um, Frailty. Really intense, really showed some acting weight there. Yeah. Um, and I tell you, I love him in um, in Edge of Tomorrow. Just that southern gentleman yeah. commander, you know, and he's just completely screwing with Tom Cruise. And he had to do it like 57 times. You know, I've got a weird one. Um, I love, it's not a great movie, but I love him in Predator 2. He's the, the rookie detective. Everything yeah. is his specialty. Yeah. yeah. It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It's and, a strange one. And you, you know, Bill Paxton, he's just one of those those, those actors that's in a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I like him in Twister. Oh, you know, yeah. I forgot about, that. I loved, I loved Twister. Um that to me, that was one of my kind of my favorites. You remember, he was one of the astronauts in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you, you've got all these roles that, that he plays, and, and some of them are very similar. Some of them, you know, <laughs> could be more, more, you know, kind of, I guess, more hard hitting and things like that. But uh, yeah, he's kind of one of those characters. Yeah, all right, he's, d- he's great. But sorry. You know, I know. Uh, go sorry, ahead. guys. Rabbit trail over. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, I know we had talked earlier about this movie having so many different elements. You know, you have the military element, you have the science fiction element, but you know, Alien really started out as a horror movie. 
uh, just sit in space. And this movie carries through. So we're going to talk about the moment we realized that this was really a horror movie. And I'm going to lead off here um, when uh, Newt is in the water. And they're picking up all of the alien readings around. They're picking up all mm. the motions around. And she's down there, and they're trying to get to her, but they don't see anything. They don't hear anything. And so you're just like, all this suspense, and she's in. She's just in the water holding her little baby doll head. And then you see the tails come up, and then you see the xenomorphs come up, and then she screams. I think she spent 90% of this movie screaming, but she screams. <laughs> and then the instant they 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 kick the 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 piece of floor that they're cutting away out, she's gone. And all you see is the baby doll head. That to me was like, Oh my God. You know, <laughs> that, was, right. that was, that was one of the first times I know you had the jump scare with, with the, with the live guy in the cocoon earlier on, but this, that was one of the first things that grabbed me is like, Oh yeah, this is scary parts. Well, I'm going to jump in here before Sandy goes, cause he already stole my base quote. So no, go for it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Man. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought I was being clever on that one. I thought I was the only one that would pick that. <laughs> now, my, my, I think for me, the, the most horror, horror movie moment thing, especially like an 80s-style horror movie, is when like, you think you're safe. So, you know, Ripley has landed the, the plane, they've gotten away, and then slowly the alien queen drops out of the side of the... She might as well have had a hockey mask on, man. That was a Jason <laughs> moment. <laughs> But that was that's pure '80s slasher horror movie. Like you think oh, yeah. you're safe, but no, out of the shadows, there they go. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to get into the drop ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, you know, I think mine and, and you you both kind of talked about this earlier. It's just the level of tension. And the way that it builds to the point when they first enter the hive, you know, when they first walk into the hive and the, the Marines are looking around and you, and they see all the, all this stuff starting to show up, but you see nothing. And then you see the Xenomorph start unfurling from the walls yeah. and the ceiling and you see the tails come out. And, and it's just, you know, that's when you get to that height of tension that that just feels like a horror movie, I think. You know, when the killer steps out of the shadows just abruptly, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> That's some other good Bill Paxton lines. You know, they're coming out of the walls, man. They're coming out of the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, our last award in the award uh, segment here is Best Battle Slash Fight. Um, and I worded that very carefully so I can say the one I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're leading off, so let's see what you got. Well, I didn't pick one of the big battles. Um, my favorite fight scene is the facehugger fight scene when Ripley and Newt are trapped in the science lab with the facehugger. And that thing, I mean, has the facehugger, I mean, I guess you see, you don't see them move as much as we see it. It just... It doesn't move right. It's creepy. Oh, it's creepy, yeah. And they're trapped. And it gets, you know, it's it's almost got new. And it's got its little thing or tail thing around Ripley's throat. And it's inches away from her face. And it's just, I, I love it. I mean, it's so, like, you know, tense body starting to sweat kind of. I mean, it's just, 
yeah, it's, it's the best fight scene in this movie. Yep. That could be also the when you really realize this is a horror movie scene, too. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to go because, you know, Jamie, I stole your quote. You stole my best fight. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? What makes that scene great? You know, it is just the, the tail wrapping around ripley's neck the, the little proboscis sticking out trying to get into her mouth you know all of these different things but i think there's a bit there's just a little bit of a humor element also the fact that newt is holding back a face hugger by pinning its tail to the wall with a table and it's trying to get she's pushed on the table <laughs> There's that little bit of humor element also. And to me, some of the best horror has those humor elements also. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that was my best fighter battle also. I love that scene. And I, I, th- I think it's good that it's so dimly lit. I think that makes it yeah. even scarier. It helps a lot, yeah. Yeah, it really does help a lot. And, you know, that, that beat there, like Sam said, those beats of humor in there kind of help, you know, rush that along. I'm going with an actual battle. <laughs> <laughs> I love after the uh, after the sentry guns have already been used up, and these guys are kind of they they start off in the control room and then they go out into the hallway. They know they're coming. They've got the 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 motion sensors, the detector there, and it's going nuts. And they're counting down and counting down and counting down. And they're standing there with their guns, and they know this is almost, if not the last stand. And you know they're they're counting down, and they say six meters. He's like, that's in the room. And he says, it's reading right. And he said, well, you're not reading it right. And, you know, and then, and then they start coming through the walls and the ceiling and the floor and just all the claustrophobia, the confusion, the, the, the tension, the, uh, oh, it just kills me. That scene. I love it. Yeah. That's you're right. To me. <laughs> I, I, I love, I, my favorite moment was when they look up in the ceiling tiles and see yeah. them all see coming them coming. down. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's so funny. Not a single one of us chose the most iconic battle in the entire movie that people always <laughs> reference: Ripley yep. in the loader. Where you Ripley? You know that was uh, that was a close second to me. Uh, you know, I yeah. love interaction with the loader. You know, how I mean, it's a fantastic is. scene. It really see, is. I see. I don't buy that scene. Get um, away from her, you. I, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we've seen how slow and clumsy that loader is. She wouldn't have lasted 15 seconds against any xenomorph. <laughs> <in> that <laughs> that spear tail thing would have had her done in no time. That talking a gnarly. That was a gnarly tail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was her whipping and beating around the beating around that loader scene. Yeah, well, you know, maybe somebody who could have taken on this alien. Crew. <laughs> Even with some maybe some martial arts and gunplay like we see in John Wick, maybe with some Matrix-esque bullet time, you know, maybe a person who could travel time and space like Bill and Ted, Keanu Reeves, and how does he connect to this science fiction horror comedy military <laughs> movie? <laughs> Only Hudson was in the comedy part. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, how does he connect? Tangentially. Give me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So, camera operator is apparently a job I should have looked into. 
Because apparently you can work forever in Hollywood as a camera operator. So our, our Keanu connection this week is a name you will not know, but you've probably seen a dozen movie he's, movies he's worked on. So I'm going to give you a list. The Shining. Yes. Not the TV one, the actual good one. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. Every Bond movie, it felt like. <laughs> I mean, from the time Roger Moore got the job until uh, Daniel Craig came on board. All of the Bond movies. Uh, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, The Color Purple, Spies Like Us, Superman 4, Willow. <laughs> <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Last Crusade, Godfather Part 3, Black Hawk Down, even Mamma Mia. The King's Speech, Hannah, and Game of Thrones. This guy's got a pretty impressive filmography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, try- I'm, I'm trying to sell it, okay? Okay, so, <laughs> so here comes the Keanu connection. In 1996, Martin Kinsey was the camera operator on Kenneth Branagh's 1996 adaptation of Hamlet. Keanu wasn't in that movie, but in 1995, he played Hamlet at the Manitoba Theater Center every night to sell out crowds and rave reviews. And there's our very highly tangential Keanu connection. (laughs) (laughs) I love the trail. I love the trail. Very nice. Very nice. I love the trail. You have no wonder one. You have no idea how much work that took. And that was our Keanu connection. Okay. Oh. That was that was probably the best part of the show. (laughs) That's the best I could do, guys. I'm just gonna edit everything out and drop that. I thought for sure there at the end he's going to be like, and his wife was the costume designer on. <laughs> his sister's uncle was. Well, speaking about tangential things in and around the movie making industry, uh, we're going to drop our uh, movie stretch uh, during this corona outbreak for a little bit uh, with our next episode and get into a little bit of news. Some news has actually been happening on quite a few fronts and uh, some interesting things and how the corona is affecting nerddom. Could be 45 minutes of rescheduling. (laughs) (laughs) True. Here's when this is actually coming out. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to have to go back through all of our news episodes and say, this isn't coming out in January. (laughs) Everything's pushed back one year. (laughs) But there is some other stuff going on. I mean, there's like a lot lot of stuff from the comic book industry. I think we've got more than enough now to finally have another news episode. And there's some very interesting casting news uh, being bounced around here lately. So, uh, yeah, it's a look forward to, uh, you know, doing a little bit of actual news research this time. So as we research the news, as we're getting on all of our sites, Jamie. We're going to keep it nerdy in the time of the Rona. Rona.